Hey everybody, I'm Marty Dodson. And I'm Clay Mills. Welcome to Songtown on Songwriting. Welcome Songtown. We have an incredible guest today. Can't wait to chat with him. I've got so many things I want to ask him. I know we got a short show, so I'm just going to jump in. Mr. Robbie Neville, he started his career as a session guitar player and songwriter, but he transitioned into a hit recording artist, um, song you may remember, C'est La Vie. Worldwide smash, one of my favorite songs as I was a, a youngster getting started in the music business. But he's gone on to write and produce on more than 35 gold and platinum albums. I mean, just an amazing career. We're going to talk all about it. We're going to get his take on songwriting. We're going to get his take on how to create the best Zoom background while you're doing an interview. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Can you explain what's going on? I have to say this for the record. Okay. Normally I have this like fake backdrop that looks all cool, but since you're using some new version of Zoom that nobody has, some beta testing <laughs> situation, this is what I got. It's killing me. You're killing me. <laughs> We're here for your wisdom, not your background, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So tell us, how did you get started? Oh, first of all, I know what I was going to tell you. I don't know if I ever told you this story because um, I've gotten to know you the last few years through a buddy of ours, Mike Krampus. But when I was in New York, 19 years old, starting out, somebody thought my music was worth playing for John Tita at Polygram Music in New York. Yeah. So I took my demo tape and I went to his office and sat down and he's like, yeah, I love this stuff. He's, he's like, we need to get you hooked up to write with some people. He goes, do you know Robbie Neville? You should write with Robbie Neville. And yeah, no. I was like, you know, I'm this kid and you're, big on the radio. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that would be amazing. It never happened. You know, as the music business goes, people get busy doing other things. And I'm, I was probably so intimidated. I probably never followed up with John and said, hey, did you get in touch with Robbie Neville? But what I wanted to say is the cool thing about the music business is it only took about 20 more years for me to meet you and sit down and write a song with you. <laughs> That's, <not much>. That's <laughs> persistence, man. <laughs> so we're. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm flattered that you want to interview me. I should be interviewing you. You're the one with all the hits. Look at no, you. No, man, you're you're way too humble. Not only have you, and we'll talk about this today probably as well, but you've got a lot of stuff going on in the sync world with placements and in TV and sync. So. I mean, you've pretty much, you know, covered about as much ground as a songwriter and a singer can cover. So tell us, how did you get started? You know, what got you into the music business in the beginning? Yeah, some people, you know, lucky enough, I, I consider myself lucky in that sense that I always kind of knew what I wanted to do. It wasn't one of those things where I had to kind of figure it out. It was kind of not really another choice. Mm -hmm. uh, it was always music from the get go. So in my mind, I think initially I wanted to be an artist. That's all I cared about. Even when other bands are doing cover, I was like, no, it's got to be original. I want it to be my band and this and that. And, and uh, it just, as things, <laughs> somehow life has its own plans. Um, and things didn't quite work out that way. It, I'm sort of, it's a long story, so I'll sort of shorten it. Plus, you said you have a short show. I can't believe it. <laughs> wait, wait, the first thing you say is going to be a short show. I got to edit everything. I'm doing. I got to speak really fast. And, uh, but um you know, initially trying to be an artist, 
didn't seem to come together that way, but some doors opened up for writing for other artists. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, I was always initially wanted to be an artist, but that door, you know, uh, as far as, you know, because we, we've all made a lot of our living from writing for other people, um, that's kind of what ended up leading eventually to my record deal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I was, to be honest, I love doing whatever projects, different styles. I like a lot of different stuff, even though I initially wanted to be the artist. If, if once the doors opened up for writing for other artists, that was amazing too. Writing for everybody from Pointer Sisters to Sheena Easton to, it was just, it was a great time, Earth, Wind and Fire, you know, just, it was just wonderful to have a chance to write with so many of the heroes that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. But then a guy named, uh, Bobby Columby over at Capitol Records he used to be the drummer of Blood, Sweat and Tears. And he's, uh, a mentor and a dear friend and we still hang out he's got a new movie out now about uh, uh early days of blood sweat and tears which when it comes out everybody has to see it it's amazing it's wow. an amazing story an amazing band yeah i just saw it the other day but he uh initially heard some of the songs the demos i'd be singing the demos and he's like who's this singing and he reached out to mca music i was published by mca music at the time um and so sort of ended up that was the start of our relationship and he at the same time i would send him songs he got me my first platinum record on sheena easton uh it was a the uh private heaven album or something but it was huge because it was in our in my mind as our first platinum record together so it was just it was you know was a, i love that and, and it's still you know very grateful for all the doors that you know there is an element of luck you got to be good at what you do in theoretic theoretically, but you also, there's, you know, some doors have to open and Bobby opened a ton of doors and like a guardian angel mentor. And he eventually, uh, introduced me to a guy named Bruce Lundball, who was starting a new company called Manhattan records, part of EMI. And he wanted me to be the first artist signed there. I wasn't the first artist that came out on the label, mm-hmm. uh, but I was the first artist signed there. And, you know, but even while I was, Doing my own music, I kept writing for other people like Held the Barge and had some singles, you know, a single with him called Someone and, you know, various things. And still to this day, still write for other people. In a weird way, it helps, I think, someone like me to work on different things at once. I like a lot of different stuff. Some people can only do one thing at a time, but I kind of enjoy different styles, different projects, different music. It's fun. It keeps it fresh. Anyway, I'm sort of oversimplifying a very a longer story, but... Since you're giving me edited, you know, it's the short show. I mean, what's up with that? (laughs) Well, a couple of things I take away from that. Because you are such a tremendous vocalist that when you were writing good songs and, you know, you were writing great songs, but with your voice on it, it had to have sold those songs in a way that somebody with a lesser voice. I mean, El DeBarge hears your voice and he's going to be copying vocal things that you did on your demo because you're such a world-class singer. So I think that really, you know, people ask us all the time, should I sing my demo or should I have a, you know, a good singer? And I always think it's got to be a professional vocal, but if you are able to sing the song yourself and you wrote it and you, and you're a good singer, I think that's a powerful combination to, to have do you, do you think that helped get those cuts or am i just off base yeah, i think i think so i think it can sometimes you know maybe intimidate depending on the singer that's I suppose. True. but i think overall it's always better because and i don't mind when someone's sort of copying because when you're singing something to me you're sort of writing it at the same time in some ways because you might have written the melody the lyric but as you're singing it you, there's something a certain energy that's got to have or maybe an importance or just a conviction to the attitude of it that 
even if I was cutting somebody else's song as an artist, which I didn't do, but if I did, that I would, I'd want to study what I love because it's something, it's not just the song, it's also something about the intent of the singer. So yeah, I think that definitely helped. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the other point that you just said you, do, you have to be careful you don't intimidate singers. And I know in Nashville, there were certain singers when we would write a song and want to pitch to that artist you would, in a way, want to choose a demo singer. Yeah, you would want to dumb it down a little bit because you didn't want to let, you didn't want the vocal performance to keep, you know, intimidate the singer. But by the same token, in a way. For the record, I didn't say dumb it down. I said tone it down. You said dumb it down. That wasn't me, folks. That wasn't me. (laughs) No, dumb it down, tone it down. No, you're right. Tone it down. But there's a certain element of that, though, that can be great because if you it lets the song shine through. If you've if you've got a great melody and great lyrics, um, then that's going to still shine through. Um, and so either way, it can work. But that's definitely a consideration. You don't want to intimidate anyone. But I know that in your case, your vocals were such such pro quality that that I'm just making a big guess that that had to help. I appreciate it, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is, it does help. And, and the funny thing is a lot of times when people hear songs that I've written, they think I'm singing on it, not because I am singing on it, but I think whether I'm producing the vocal or somebody is copying a certain thing, they're emulating some aspect of it. I don't really hear that myself, mm-hmm. but they'll be like, yeah, I can hear you on it. I go, I didn't sing on this one. They go, yeah, but you probably, you know, maybe if you produced it, you probably kept working them until they emulated some aspect of it. Not because it's a, uh, I just think that there's something, if there's something you liked about something, you don't want to lose that. And that's how I, uh, this is a tangent, but what the hell, uh, how I got into production was sort of like a means to an end because a lot of times back when I first started, we'd do the demos, meaning the writers, and then the quote unquote producer would do the, you know, the actual make the record. But a lot of times they were semi emulating and sometimes they missed the point or they change it to something that what, it's subjective, so it's not a right or wrong, but that you felt like, wow, whatever the hit was, got a little, it got a little diluted, or, or just something didn't quite hit as hard. And so, to me, production was sort of a means to an end. It's sort of like also safeguarding to make sure that, yeah, the original vision doesn't get lost. Because you know, part of it is I always consider myself a songwriter first and then a producer, uh, as opposed to you know the other way around. Because to me, it's it's all about just making sure that the song hits as hard as the hooks hit as hard as they can, and and uh, yeah. I mean, but that's how I ended up getting to production, not because I wanted to be a quote unquote producer, but. You wanted it done right. You wanted it, you know, to, to be the way it should be. Yeah. And the interesting thing is back during those early days at MCA publishing where they had like a recording studio, which they kept booked around the clock, which was great because back then, you know, just to you know rent a studio for, it was just, you know, you're, you know, counting pennies and going into the studios would just be like in big weeks before you get enough money to go in and do another song. So having that studio was great. And a lot of times uh, when I first started there, they were doing a lot of work with Richard Perry and I had been doing some work um, for Richard Perry too with the Pointer Sisters before I'd signed there. But then when I did, it was a perfect sort of uh, follow-up to that. And Richard was one of the first producers I had seen that would buy some of the tracks instead of just cutting them, like starting over from scratch. He, was, he had that same attitude, which is like, there's something right here. I don't want to lose that. I just want to add to it. 
And so he would buy the tracks from MCA and, and that was, it was, it was great. I mean, just, but it wasn't just because production credit, that's nice. Cause you get like an associate production credit and that was great, but it's more over like, yeah, that's the song we did. Yeah. That's the same thing. It's still hitting, you know? Yeah. And, and there's something about, and I've noticed this because in Nashville for a long time, it's not that way now so much, but for a long time you would pitch a demo and then the record producer would try to recreate that demo with session players in the yeah. studio. And so I've been on the receiving end. Sometimes that goes great and they top it. They top the demo. But there are other times where they totally lose the vibe and the magic of the demo. Right. You know, and so yeah. I think that's, that's an extremely smart approach where you're taking, if there is a great track already, why not use that because it's working or parts or of it. Parts. I mean, if it's parts yeah. of it, you know, because it's not there's no right or wrong, but uh, yeah, if it's working. And it's funny too, uh, that same idea, sometimes when you're cutting a scratch vocal and you kind of think, well, I'll redo it later, but there was just <laughs> something about the scratch that just had that thing. And it's not something you could put your finger on. It's just some kind of vibe as opposed to spending hours another day trying to think about what you were doing. Whereas at first you were just almost like not improvising, but to some extent, you know, interpreting it almost in, from an improv point of view and and it's a, it's just got a thing. So I always try to make sure that let me make sure before you can do anything. I tell you, let's just get levels. Let's just get good. All right, because that way the first thing because it might be the first thing that somebody sings is got something. You don't want to miss anything. Go what? One of my you know running jokes with singers after they've been there for hours. It's like yeah, we're ready to start cutting some of these now. You know, it's always nice to. Yeah, and I, I think that was a joke. <laughs> Work with me here. I'm making a joke here. <laughs> I'm still blown away by the the Zoom background. Like you went really low fi low uh, key with the the background. It's yeah, I know, I know. It's it's, it's brutal. I know you're killing me here. It's some what is this? Some new song town or something? I don't know. Because yeah, someone said you've got this. What did you call it? Martha Stewart lighting. Yes. You probably got some big truckloads of all these like crew out there and you know dollies and god only knows what's going on in your studio have and have not you're killing me all right yeah that's that's so true um i love what you said about scratch vocals because i've often felt like it's almost like say when you're sitting down to write a song and you get that first burst of inspiration yeah. there's a magic there. Yeah. So it's the same way when you're recording a track or you're recording a vocal a lot of times that first burst of creativity it has a magic that you will never be able it's in the moment. That's it's right. in the moment and you'll yeah. never be able to recreate that again. So if it's something yeah. and you know I think even oftentimes if it's not perfect it it'll be magical. I had a perfect. a song I won't name the artist that recorded a song of mine and I went in the studio and heard his his version of it and it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. A week later that I was talking to the producer and they go, "Well, we went back in you know, the artist felt like he could beat it. We went back in and redid the vocal. When the song came out on the radio, it no longer made the hair on my neck stand up. And I knew it, it was one of those things that got to like number five on the chart. And you're going, if he had just not resung it, you know, because <laughs> there was a magic. You know, I think radio recognized it's, it was a good song and a good vocal and, you know, had all the elements. But that thing that takes takes it over the top sometime, 
you can't put your finger on it. There's just that magic to it. Yeah. I always make sure that a singer is just, even before we will, you know, the songs playing or whatever, just, just give me, you know, just sing a little bit, even though it's not going to be perfect. You know, you still dial it, but just and start recording right off the bat because just for that one reason, yeah. you just don't know. Might be an ad lib they do on the intro when they weren't even thinking. Cause there's a, it's almost like a headspace thinking versus doing, right. you know, and it can happen to anybody. It's not like, you know, on some level, you know, some of my favorite tracks are just doing like ad lib tracks sometimes because there is no thinking involved. It's just. Yes. You know, and you know, we're really going to go off on a tangent now, but Somebody was explaining to me the other day, we were talking about AI, artificial intelligence, writing songs. And he was trying to convince me, he goes, well, the magic is in how you prompt AI and, you know, how you tell it to come up. The, the, the best prompters will be the best writers. And I'm going, okay, that takes it out of your heart and puts it into your head. And that's just what you're saying. The magic is in doing. The magic is not thinking. So if you're thinking, what what am I going to tell AI to do here? You've totally lost the humanity and the heart of anything you're trying to come up with. How is that for a tangent? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I agree with you. I was talking to you earlier, someone else the other day, about a video I watched that Rick Beato did on uh, uh, AI. And it was just mind-boggling i mean on some levels i get it and you can tell it to interpret this and it's going to do a version of it and it'll be probably full it's interpreting it's copying it's doing some variation thereof but that's not the same as somebody creating something it'll never be the same you can't i mean in, in my opinion anyway or at least to, to me that the most magical things will always be just sitting in a room and like hey what do you want to do and something just starts because there's no prompting other than hey what do you want to write about I know. <laughs> Um, but otherwise it's just, you know, I mean, I, you know, it's freaky and uh, a friend of mine who's never happy with almost any demo singer, I go, well, maybe it's good for you. Cause you could say, oh, I really wish I had Aretha Franklin today. Oh, she's coming in too. And I, it's not, it's yeah, nuts. you can fire Aretha if she's not cutting it and, and, and yeah. put the next singer yeah, on. Just, hey, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. No, it's, it's crazy scary, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. No one's never is going to be replaced. The AI is never going to replace a songwriter. And I'm yeah. sorry, whether or not it emulates the same hit record that was there and takes it and does this, it doesn't matter. I'll still always feel that. Yeah, way. I agree. You know, before we go, let's talk a little bit about your writing process because having written with you a, a couple of times, I always loved that you would come in with a melody. And you would be very specific about it. it has to fit this rhythm. You know, you had tight rhythmic phrases um, that were hooks. Well, it, it, that particular, we've written a couple times, but that particular time, there was something that was right. a start. It's not like I always have <laughs> one way of doing it. I don't walk in every session going, either you cop this rhythm or it's not going to happen today. I'm leaving, you know, I'm, I'm out of here. Not bad, but yes, this particular thing, there was a song and a melody and a hook, I think, or at least the shape mm -hmm. of a hook. Uh, maybe not the lyric, but something in that way. And I do like writing that way a lot. Uh, but, you know, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I used to, I think that's the way I always used to write, where it was nonsense words. And I think a lot of people, I always, when I listen to people talk about how they write, it's just where you're just kind of, again, going with this 
just feeling about it and you're saying words, what do they mean? Nothing or do they? I mean, that's that weird thing of like, or maybe that you are picking words that sonically have something to them that just naturally felt hooky. Um, and then you put another word to it and sometimes it's, yeah, it fits, but it, it just doesn't, it doesn't roll off your tongue the same way. So I do like writing. I guess that phonetically would be a, a way to, you know, call it something. Um, but it's not the only way. Like I've written with you before where I think we're, you'll just, you know, come up with like some amazing title and backstory. And it seems like you wrote a movie in the same time I wrote like one <laughs> verse line or something, which is just not fair. It's not right. A lot of, a lot of you cats in Nashville just blow my mind. I kind of feel like, Oh my God, but you know, everybody's got the, their thing, but I just, that, that always amazes me. But yeah, when we worked the other day, but I just couldn't believe how rude you, no one had told me how rude you get in writing <laughs> sessions. Like, no, I never expected that. I'm just like, and I looked over and I'm just like, what is, what's going on here? You just like, you know, kind of a Don Rickles kind of thing going on. I don't know. I wasn't <laughs> expecting it. No, you're awesome. You're amazing. But yeah, I mean, um, there's no rule. That's the only rule. As yeah. we're, right. Uh, but at the same time, probably on my own when I'm generally, that's usually the way I write is there's, there's something to catch about the sound of something. And a lot of times it's not even with, in fact, sometimes it's better for me to start doing a song start without a guitar or a piano oh, wow. or anything. Um, because at least, at least for me, cause I've been playing guitar for a long time. You fall into certain patterns just but inadvertently. Uh, whereas if you're just walking around, you can hear the whole production in your head. It might change once you start to kind of map it out, but it's, you know, it's not like pop songs are that complex. Like I'm, you know, doing giant steps in my mm -hmm. head or something, maybe jazz song, you know, it's, uh, you know, so a lot of times it's almost liberating to just hear an idea in, in, in my head stylist because i can hear the whole demo you know which like i said once i start producing it i'm the type of person who is sort of creatively stumbling when i produce it's it's the way i've always sort of gone about it in the sense of like i start here but then it starts to go here and so i'll just go with it because i go well whatever i thought was good but this is way better already so let me just, let me just see where this is going to take me you know and sometimes that means reharmonizing uh, reworking things a lot of times every so often something just comes together the way i thought it would and i'm like oh that's Oh, kind of like surprising that that's exactly what I thought it would be. But a lot of times just the creative stumbling aspect of, of, uh, it's like reminds me when I started with bands, you know, you're, you're practicing, you're playing and then parts start to change before, you know, it kind of morphs. It wasn't what you thought, but it's better than what you thought. And then people bring in this recently, I did a project where I got to use a lot of live players. You're probably spoiled. You get to do that more. I tend to be in the studio by myself a lot. Um, but, uh, but it was so much fun just to hear people put their magic on it. Like, you know, it was clear that I, yes, I made sure the demo sort of basically spelled out what it's kind of supposed to do. But then they're like, don't you think a drum groove that's a little more like this would fit the thing I made? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like an old buddy of mine used to say, he goes, thanks for making me look like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. You know? It's, so, it's really, I mean, that that's kind of been the thing in Nashville. And believe it or not, I would say today, probably more often it's getting to be like what you've experienced where there are track guys in the room and creating records that way. But in the past in Nashville, for instance, um, Paul Lyme, who's one of the greatest drummers that's ever played on records in the history of music, everything from Lionel Richie hits to Kenny Roger hits to modern day country hits. I mean, just just such a huge resume for a drummer. Um, I brought in a song that we had written to acoustic guitar and a drum loop. And I said, Paul, can you play 
a drum part over this drum loop. And he goes, well, why don't I just incorporate the essence of the loop into the drum part I play? And he came up with this amazing part that later when the song's on the radio, I mean, people were talking about that drum part as part of the hook of the song. You know, it was just that creative. And that's the part I think I miss when we're working just with, you know, tracks in the room, whether we're doing it or, or there's someone else. And maybe you've got a live guitar, but a lot of the instruments are programmed. Um, it's, it's that track yeah. collaboration with real musicians, yeah. you know. It, I don't get to do it that often just because the styles that I tend to be, whether, you know, just specific project or a lot of times after I'll do something, I'll send it to someone like, you know, like Mike or our buddy Mike and, England does some drums or whatever, but in this particular project, it called for it. It was sort of like a modern day Earth, Wind, and Fire. So I get the bass player, this chord, he was just like this. He was just, I'd sit there and kind of go, wow. <laughs> More fun than I probably have had in so many years, just because I, I enjoy watching people great at what they do and the magic that they bring just intuitively. They go like, like that. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> just like that. I have nothing to say. You know, just there's nothing I'm going to say that's going to be anything better than what you're already doing. And I, the last thing I want to do is mess that up. It's it's good fun. So I'm jealous that you get and to do it more. But it sounds like what you're saying is that maybe not. As not much not as, as much as in the past. I would say probably 50 percent less now. And there's there's a lot of reasons for that. We could talk a whole show about that. But I that's the one thing. Getting back to AI, when you hear a brilliant bass player lay down a part that's you've never heard anything like it. I, it makes me want to say, okay, AI, show me if you can do that. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> even if I could, yeah. I still wouldn't care. I'd still, you know, sorry, I'll be like some old school cat to the point where AI will be doing it. The only thing I wonder about AI, and this is a complete tangent, nothing to do with music, and tell me if you think I'm wrong about this. I go, okay, so let's just say AI takes over this, takes over that, takes over this, machines, this takes over all this kind of stuff. So no people have to work at any jobs. Because it's AI, well, who's going to make money to be able to buy the products that the AI is making? Am I, did I miss something here? I just, it seems like sort of like, well. Hmm. Yeah. I, I love hearing I you talk. I've got about three song titles so far out of this conversation. So. <laughs> I can't turn it off. And that's the that's a great thing about writing with artists is they're often very colorful and they say things with attitude which can can lead to songs. Um, is there anything you want to talk about before we go? I know you've, you've been involved with a lot of sync projects, and um, is there anything you want to share with us? Just wanted to talk about negotiating. How much you're paying <laughs> me to do this again? You said that there was like big money or something, and we haven't gone into that. Is this a good time to talk legal, or do we get our lawyers to Yeah, I'll, okay. we'll, we'll talk about that later. The check is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> in the mail yeah ladies and gentlemen um you know these days uh you know i mean i love talking about anything we can talk some other time too but it, uh these days or probably over the last 15 years i've made a lot of my living you know getting songs in movies or tv shows or placements or you know sometimes uh, tv ads you know advertise um it's just it's 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 changed to the point where so much of the stuff whether you're watching a tv commercial whatever you realize the quality has gotten mm-hmm. so great I mean, everything you hear, because a lot of songwriters, it's become so hard to get on records. It's become a different thing. People tend to be more self-contained. 
Um, and so whether it's groups or what have you, and I still do write for other projects, but one of the things that's nice about placements is that a lot of times, even the people, the artists coming out on labels are trying to get their songs in movies or TV shows or whatever, because you get to piggyback on the viewership. For example, if you're on, look at a song like stranger things or you know, a show like stranger things and they get like a Kate Bush song comes out and it gets a whole new life. That's right. an extreme example. Uh, but that idea of being able to piggyback and, you know, because the project we worked on recently, I had a song placement, a song called Icy Red uh, from a band called Everybody Loves Now, yeah. you know, because we worked on it, uh, the new record. And, uh, you know, because of the song placement in a movie, it got this viral love, became a huge number one Spotify viral in the, in the world. And then it, now it's up to like 1.3 billion on TikTok. And it became this huge thing. And we got, uh, you know, record deal through it. And, it's just amazing things can happen because of placements because it's pretty hard. There's so much stuff out there right now that to try to get noticed. I always say on the, on the bright side, you don't need a record company to put out a product. In fact, sometimes I don't even think record company is mm-hmm. the way to go anymore, to be honest with most acts, or at least maybe until you get to a certain level and then maybe it makes sense. But otherwise you don't need the company to get you out there, especially if you're good at the social media. Um, so, you know, my attitude is, is it, that everything can work in, in conjunction with, with, with the same light. And perfect example is, is that, that particular cut. But also, you know, a lot of these things like TikTok don't really pay. And, you, you know, there's, I'm sure you've probably interviewed other artists that break down, you know, how little streaming pays and so on and so forth. One of the nice things about just getting stuff out there that's getting reused and different stuff is there's just more, more revenue, to be honest, as a writer. It's not why I do what I do. It's never been, I've never done it for the money. But at the same time, it's nice to be able to make some money for what you do and it's not all just free you know and you know that kind of thing but uh but i've been very lucky to get a lot of stuff in tv shows so you know the game you, you get enough stuff out there it's the river of dimes as someone called it uh, the other day that I, I love that phrase you know because it is sometimes it's not a big usage but if you have enough stuff out there over enough years you know it's a way to make a living um i still love making records but the way i look at it now it's like for everybody loves now that band i wanted to do a certain style that I don't, you know, wasn't something that I was getting called to do. It was sort of like a little bit more of a blues rock kind of a, I'm not even sure what dark country meets. I, I don't even know. It's sort of a strange hybrid project. And I sort of decided, well, I'll just do it and I'll build a band. And I, yes, I did bring the project to a placement company, but it still was a band in my mind and, and the whole you know premise of it. So when it got out there and it started taking off, it was ironic because I wasn't doing it to get on this record. I wasn't chasing that carrot like, oh, this artist is looking and, you know, which isn't to say I'm not open to that. It's wonderful. Like if you call me in, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know, on your next big project, you know, uh, uh, I won't say no. I mean, it's a wonderful thing. But at the same time, I've gotten to this point in my life, I think, career where uh, if I feel like doing something, I don't want to wait till it comes along. I want to just go do it. It seems like, you know, I haven't done I want to do a punk punk pop thing or whatever it is or you know and and sort of but understanding that i still would love it to get placements too because then it might give it a life it's still such a great avenue to have something yeah. take off so that's my and it sounds like you've managed to follow your passion and that leads to good things and you know we have a lot of emails that we get at songtown and somebody going well should I do songwriting? Is, you know, is there even a way to make a living doing it anymore? And, you know, and I've looked at it. I think there's a misconception. People think that 
when you write a hit song, you're in a room going, I want to write this dumb song that I can make millions of dollars on. And I have never been in a room with a hit writer where anything like that was taking place. We're trying to do what we love. We're trying to create music that we're proud of. We're trying to, to write the best songs that, you know, we certainly work within some of the framework of a genre, but at the end of the day, if your concern, I think, is how do I make a living doing this, you're probably not going to be in it long enough to to have a career. You know, it, it's because you've got to ride the ups and downs, you know, and it's not easy. Yeah, my, my bit of advice to pretty much anybody that I've ever, and not just in music, but certainly in music, which is that throw as many lines out as you can. Initially, I started and I wanted to be an artist. That's just for whatever reason, you know, I have meetings at companies they'd be like this is great but we don't know what to do with it because i was sort of into fusion it was into, you know it's this weird sort of hybrid which i loved but apparently it didn't fit right. the uh, mainstream at the time but then sort of inadvertently i got into writing for other artists it wasn't something i planned but i was like well for these doors were opening so i always to this day i still kind of feel like do a lot of different things you know and have your you know your lines out like fishing like as many lines out as you can and and I, yeah it is true like at one point for example my old partner who still close with uh, Matthew Gerard, he brought me in. He was signed to Disney at the time and he, a bit of a tangent, but he, he was, and he brought me into that world and it ended up being an amazing run that we did with Disney, whether all the Hannah Montana and High School Musical that we did together. You know, there was other writers too doing a bunch, but we definitely did a lot of it. And it wasn't something I'd ever planned. I never sort of thought my career is going to end up here doing writing for this kind of stuff. But the bottom line was the doors open. It was a challenge because there was a lot of different you know, it's still, no matter what style you're in, there's always a challenge to it. And I like the challenge. In fact, that kind of like gets, keeps me going every day. Like something like, oh, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to solve this puzzle or figure this out or do something that whatever. And I had a, at the time my daughter was 11. So it was really fun to kind of experience all that, that Disney kind of magic and time with her too. But it wasn't an intention. You never know where something's going to take you. And it doesn't mean to say that that's all you do. It's just that if that's, you know, whatever it is, do your best and, 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 and do it for you, because if you like it, there's a better chance someone else will. It's always been my sort of rule of thumb. If I'm not happy with something, I'll never play it for you. I never go, like, I think this is okay. What do you think? I mean, maybe if we're writing a song and it's starting, I go, I had to start. What do you think? I mean, obviously, but even by the time I do that, yeah. it's something that I think is pretty cool. I'm not going to just go, I think this sucks, but what do you think? Like, I just I couldn't, it's just, it won't happen. And when I work hours in the studio, it's not because I think I'm going to get a payday. It's because I go, I, I I can't put my name on it yet, or I, I just eh, it could be better, and it has nothing to do with the money. I've never done it for, for making. I've been very fortunate in my life, but at the same time, it's just yeah. I'm sure you're the same. Well, man, it was been great talking to you. This is going to be a longer version of our podcast, and I'm I couldn't I couldn't cut it down because I love talking to you. I appreciate you. Yeah, but thanks thanks for having me, bro. You're. You're the rock star. I'm just like, you know, I'm just like uh, lucky to be here. Cheers, brother.